Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Central London service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And then from Matthew 7, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Welcome Liam now. <laughs> Great. Thank you very much. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning. Uh, as, as we've just heard, we are continuing a little mini-series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is a famous sermon that Jesus preached, which is in Matthew chapters 5 to 7. And today, I want to look at a theme that comes from uh, those couple of verses that we just heard from Matthew 5 and 7, and I'll also throw in a bonus bit from chapter 6 as well. And the reason being that the theme we're going to look at today runs throughout the whole of the sermon. But I want to get to it, as it were, through the wide and narrow gates, uh, which is a little riddle that Jesus throws out there at the very end of his sermon, but I think concludes a lot of what the whole sermon is about. And we're going to leap straight in because we've got a lot to cover, but I want to cover just three angles on this today. We're going to look at the paradox, the path, and the person. So let's begin with the paradox. Jesus says this, enter through the narrow gate. Oh, that's Lars. Oh, that's better. That's it. I suddenly thought I was going to have to preach Lars's sermon, which would not go very well. Um, he did it better than I would. So Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus' saying revolves around a contrast between two ideas. On the one hand, you've kind of got width and breadth, and on the other hand, you've got smallness and narrowness. I don't know what comes to mind when you hear that. Maybe for some of us, it's like, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. Maybe some of you are thinking, I have no idea what that's about. Tell me, Liam. Well, that's why I'm here. Uh, You're welcome. And maybe some of you, actually, it kind of jars with you a little bit. When I read this recently, knowing I was going to preach on it, I felt that. It kind of jarred with me a little bit. Because I don't know if you have noticed this, but in our world today, It's quite popular to be a seeker. In fact, it's quite encouraged to be a seeker, to seek for meaning and truth and answers and a path to happiness and spirituality, all these sorts of things. What's not so popular is to be a finder, as it were. I don't know if you've noticed this. If someone in our world goes, oh, I'm seeking for spirituality, a path to happiness, we're like, yeah, go for it. Find your own path. Brilliant. If they come back and go, guys, I found what I was looking for, we're like, don't be so arrogant. Keep your religion away from me. Do you know what I mean? It, like, I think in this world today, it's encouraged to seek, but not really encouraged to find. Because actually, if we come back and we say, I think I found some answers, suddenly we come across as arrogant or restrictive. So when Jesus comes along and he says, well, it is worth seeking, but actually not every path leads to life. You've got to be careful which path you get on. That kind of jars with us. Because in our world today, we want to say, find your own path. Every path will lead to life. Just be true to yourself. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, actually, some paths don't lead to the life that you're seeking. So be a seeker, but also be okay with being a finder as long as you find the right path. And then he gets even worse because he says, actually, the path that leads to life is not a big, obvious one. It's actually quite small, quite narrow. And if you're not careful, many people miss out on it. And that jars with our kind of sensibilities today because it reinforces the idea that many of us have that religion is actually something restrictive. Religion is actually, at its core, something negative. It's all about controlling us and telling us how to live a joyless life. And I feel 
that pressure. I live in the same world that you do, and I have experienced forms of religion that do feel restrictive, that do feel narrow, that do feel controlling. And so when I hear that, I kind of react against it. I think, oh, Jesus, that sounds a bit challenging. Enter the narrow gate, and it's small, and not many people find it. And if you feel that, you're not alone. I feel that. I'm sure many of us feel that. But actually, I think Jesus' hearers would have felt that as well. This is not just a modern problem for our 21st century secular Western world. Jesus' original hearers would have felt that as well because they had concepts of width and breadth and smallness and narrowness just like we do. In fact, they had an Old Testament full of these concepts being used almost like a metaphor for life and for death. If you read through the Old Testament again and again and again, width and breadth and spaciousness is almost like a metaphor for blessing, life to the full, life under the blessing of God. There are some examples that come up on the screen. Do check it out. Make sure I'm not making this stuff up. But all the way through the Old Testament, width and breadth represents blessing and life. When the people of God are in captivity in Egypt, God promises them a promised land that is broad and spacious. The psalmist and the prophets regularly talk about God bringing us out from a narrow place into a broad and spacious place, life to the full. Psalm 118.5 says, when I was hard pressed in this narrow tight place, I cried out to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. So if you ask Jesus' hearers, what do you think the flourishing life or the kingdom looks like? One of the metaphors they would have gone to is breadth, spaciousness, wide open place. That is blessing, width and breadth. That represents life under the blessing of God. So when Jesus says, I've got a parable for you here, two gates, two paths. One is broad and spacious, the other one narrow. They're going to think, well, Jesus is going to tell us to take this one because that's what the Old Testament promises, right? Take the wide path. Jesus does the opposite. He says, actually take the narrow path. That's the one that's going to get you to life. And to be clear, the reason why Jesus turns it on his head is not because he actually wants to say, take the narrow path because I'd really like you all to live a miserable life. Like that's not Jesus' point at all. Actually, in John 10.10, Jesus says, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, to rob and restrict. I have come to give you what? Life to the full. Jesus has come to lead us to a breadth of life, a full quality of life. But the paradox, the challenge he throws out here is this. What if the way you get to that breadth of life is not the way you expect? And what if there is actually a true breadth and fullness of life that you only actually get to experience if you enter through narrowness? Andy Tilsley, when he kicked off this series, looking at the Beatitudes, he talked about the idea of the kingdom which is this flourishing life under the rule and reign and blessing of God that runs through this whole sermon, actually all of Jesus' life and ministry and teaching. And he said that all of us have a kingdom, as it were. We have this sphere of rulership, our will, the things that we control, and we hate it when our kingdom gets threatened. So when Jesus comes on the scene and says, actually, the kingdom of God is like this, if that jars with our picture of our own kingdom, we fight it. Why? Because we don't like to be restricted. We don't like anyone telling us to do something a different way. So we react against Jesus saying, but what if Jesus is saying, actually, the kingdom of God, which is broad and life-giving and spacious, can only actually be accessed through narrowness, through laying down your own kingdom to get through this tiny gate, as it were. I think we have a faulty perception of what freedom truly is. 
You see, many of us think that true freedom is about being free from all restrictions, walking a broad path with nothing hemming us in, nothing telling us how to live. As one contemporary philosopher puts it, true freedom is this, to see what I can do, to test the limits and break through, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I am free. <laughs> There's actually a picture of her on the next slide, so you kind of ruined the joke, but that's fine, don't worry. Um, like, I used to quote proper philosophers, now I have a daughter, so I quote Frozen. But like, this actually sums up the modern approach to freedom. Like, true freedom, to be free, is to live with no limits, to break through, no right, no wrong, no one can tell me what to do, that's true freedom. Actually, I would put it to you, that's not real freedom at all. All freedom comes through embracing restrictions. It's not possible to have freedom without restrictions. The question is, what restrictions do you have? Let me give you an illustration. Say I went to the doctor and um, uh, I have a health check and the doctor says to me, Liam, you need to make some serious lifestyle changes. You need to change your diet, otherwise you're uh, in danger of some severe health consequences. Then if I subscribe to the notion that to be truly free means I have no restrictions in my life, then I'm going to turn around to the doctor and say, I reject your narrow way. I don't want to come under the authority of your kingdom. I want to be free, completely free. And the doctor would be within his rights to say, Liam, you can be completely free. You are free to eat whatever you like, and you're also free to die young. Like, like both freedom and responsibility come in both scenarios. Like, I am free to respond well to what he tells me, or I'm free to reject it. But there is restriction either way. Either I restrict what I put into my body, or I restrict my ability to use my body for a long time. You see what I mean? See, true freedom is not the absence of all restrictions. It's the presence of the most life-giving restrictions. The way to respond to that doctor is not to say, I reject your narrow way, but to recognize that he has authority to tell me how to get to life to the full. And if I want to enter it, I need to lay down my own kingdom and enter through the narrow way of his medical advice. Do you see what I mean? True freedom is not the absence of restrictions. It's the presence of life-giving, liberating restrictions. Maybe the best example of this is love. If I want to experience life and love, rather, in all of its fullness, in its most intimate way, then I need to choose to love and be loved exclusively, rejecting all other potential options. I need to choose the narrow way of being in relationship with my wife at the exclusion of every other potential if I am to enjoy love as it is truly, fully intended. And so I embrace the narrow way. I embrace the restriction knowing that in what seems narrow is a great breadth of life that I wouldn't get to experience otherwise. You see, the narrow way, the paradox is that the narrow way actually leads to a greater life than you will ever get if you think, I want to keep my options open. I want to walk the broad way. Because true freedom is not about the absence of restrictions. It's the presence of life-giving restrictions. There's this moment in C.S. Lewis' Narnia book, The Last Battle, where Tyrion, Diggory, and Lucy have to take shelter in a stable, and they're approaching it, and it, it just looks tiny. It's like 12 foot by 6 foot, and they think it's minuscule, and then they walk through the door, and they get inside, and they are blown away, because what they find is a whole world opens up before them. Tyrion says this, It seems that the stable seen from within and the stable seen from without are two different places. And Diggory replies, Yes, its inside is bigger than its outside. That's the paradox of the kingdom. That's the life that Jesus offers. You look at it from the outside and you think, that's narrow, that's restrictive. How dare you say that? When you get in, man, you find it is broader than you could possibly imagine. And Jesus' appeal is this. 
Don't let the paradox put you off. If you want life, you can find it. But you will find it through the narrow path, the narrow way. So if that's the challenge at the heart of his metaphor, what does the metaphor actually mean? What are the paths? What are the gates? Well, on the surface, I think the metaphor of the paths and the gates looks quite straightforward. And maybe you think it's quite straightforward. Jesus is contrasting two ways of living. Actually, let me show you a, a piece of art. Can I have the next slide up? Um, this is a piece from, uh, I think it's from the 1800s. It was originally German. Uh, this version is translated into English. And it depicts this story from Jesus, the broad and narrow way. And you probably can't see all the detail, but on this side, you've got the broad way, which just looks fun and broad and spacious, but actually it leads to destruction. And on this side, you've got the narrow way where uh, people are just walking a slightly harder road, but it gets to life. And clearly, the depiction here is between the bad life, which leads to destruction, and the good life. And all the way up, you won't be able to see this, but there are little Bible verses showing that people are either breaking the law, the instructions of God, or keeping the law, the instructions of God. Breaking the law leads to destruction. Keeping the law leads to life. Now, this is a pretty common approach to this story. And actually, all the way up the right, it's people doing things like uh, praying, giving money to charity, going to church, all that sort of stuff. On the left, it's people fighting in the streets, drinking, uh, sleeping around, and going to the theater. Who knew? <laughs> uh, personally, not found that verse in the Bible yet, but I have watched a lot of German theater, and it is bad, so maybe it does belong there. So the contrast is between two ways of living. And the, the idea is live this way and not this way, because this way leads to death and this way leads to life. And there's some truth to that, because the Bible is full of instructions, and our actions have consequences. And there are particular ways that we should live if we want to experience a full life, and there are other ways of living that are restrictive and damaging to us. But I don't think this is actually what Jesus is saying. And the reason I think that is because the whole of the rest of the sermon has taken a slightly different angle. I am an okay preacher, and I know it's not a good idea as a preacher to preach one way for an entire sermon and then say, in conclusion, forget that, do this instead. Like, Jesus is a way better preacher than I will ever be. And he's preached this sermon that goes one direction, and it's not this direction. And so if this idea of the wide and narrow gates comes at the end of the sermon, surely the conclusion is somehow related to everything else he says. So what does Jesus say in the rest of the sermon? Well, he does make regular contrasts between two groups of people. But it's not the good people and the bad people, be like the good people, not like the bad people. It's actually between groups of people who all, on the face of it, do the very same things, but from a different motivation. See, chapter 6, Jesus talks about those who pray, those who fast, those who give money to the poor. And his point isn't some of you do those things and some of you don't be like the people that do. He's talking to religious people here. He's talking to people all of whom keep the law and, and pray and fast and give money to the poor. But some of them do it out of love for God and love for others and others do it. Why? To draw attention to themselves. So the contrast is not between people who do externally good and externally bad actions, but people who all do good actions, but from a different heart. That's the contrast Jesus wants to make. He talks to the Pharisees quite a lot in this sermon and in the rest of the gospel and his teachings. And the Pharisees, some of the Jewish leaders and teachers of the law in that day, and if they were good at anything, it was keeping the law. Like that was the thing they did. In fact, they created extra laws to make doubly sure they kept the law. Yet Jesus says this, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, if you want to enter the kingdom, you've got to keep the law more than those who keep the law better than anyone. Like, how does that work? Well, 
What if in keeping the law, the Pharisees are only actually keeping part of the law? And what if in adhering to the rules, externally living moral lives, they are actually keeping the letter of the law, but there is a deeper spirit of the law, an intent that God has that they're missing out on entirely? And what if having a righteousness that goes deeper than that of the Pharisees is actually fulfilling not just the letter of the law, but the very spirit, its true intent? Jesus says this in Matthew 5, You have heard it said, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. What is Jesus doing here? Well, he's not saying, well, in my kingdom, murder's fine, so just knock yourselves out. Like he's, he's not saying that at all. He's also not saying, well, in the old kingdom, in the old way of doing things, murder was like the top, top limit, but now I want to give you some extra rules just to make it a little bit harder for you. No, what he's doing is he's pulling back the curtain. So you fixated on the letter of the law, do not murder. But the intent, the spirit of the law was something far deeper that resides in the heart. So if you have the, the heart inclination that leads to murder, you've got the same problem as if you were breaking the letter of the law. Do you see what I mean? He's saying to the Pharisees, you could go your entire lives not murdering, and on the face of it, you would look great. But if you harbor the spirit of murder and hatred in your heart, you're breaking the spirit of the law. He makes the same point again. He says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks lustfully at a woman has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What's he doing? He's saying that actually breaking or keeping the law isn't about what you do with your bodies. It's to do with your heart and your bodies. You could go your entire life keeping the letter of the law and not committing adultery. But if you harbor the spirit of that through lust in your heart, it's as if you had broken the law. Jesus is showing what God really cares about is deeper than what the Pharisees are fixated on. It's a spirituality that keeps not only the letter of the law, but also the spirit of the law. This is the contrast that runs right through the Sermon on the Mount. And I could show you again and again and again. So the contrast is not between breaking the law and keeping the law, but between keeping the letter of the law and keeping the spirit of the law, which means that the broad way, according to Jesus, is actually the way of the Pharisees. That's the summation of the whole sermon. The broad way is keeping the letter of the law and thinking that by your works, you can earn your way into life and using your works as a mask for what's truly going on in your heart, having a corrupted heart. Jesus says that's the broad way. It's easy because you get these rules and you think, I keep those, I'm fine. No, 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 it's deeper than that. Because God's intent was never just to keep you in some sin management system where you just follow a checklist of rules. God wants your heart. God wants every part of you given in submission to him. As God said to the prophet Samuel, the Lord does not look at the things that the people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Perhaps the key to the whole sermon, this is a little bit technical, but stay with me because this unlocks the whole thing. The key is chapter 5, verse 48, where Jesus says this, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And man, like that does not feel like good news. Be as perfect as God is perfect? How do I do that? Well, actually, this is not a new idea. It goes back to the Old Testament, Leviticus 19, Leviticus 20. And it was kind of the catchphrase of the Pharisees. They aimed to be as perfect as God is by keeping the law. But Jesus does something interesting here. 
Because in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word used in, in Leviticus is hagios, which means holy. But that word had actually been shifted in people's understanding over time. It now sort of took on this kind of loaded understanding of, of being like keeping the letter of the law. As if you could look around and go, well, those people are hagios because they are doing X, Y, and Z and not doing those things. And I, these people are not hagios as a result. And Jesus is like, no, 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 that was never the point. So when he quotes it, he actually switches out the word hagios for a different word, which is Telios, which actually means whole. Be whole as God is whole. What he's saying is this God wants you to be whole, for your bodies and your hearts to be integrated. I mean, that's literally what the word integrity means for all of you to be united together. God is not impressed by our external acts masking our inner reality. That's the broad way of the Pharisees. Jesus says God's goal is for you to be teleos, for your heart and your actions to come united together, for us to not only keep the letter of the law whilst harboring negativity in our hearts, but to also keep the spirit of the law. That's what the whole sermon is about. Now, when you see it like that, I think it becomes obvious why Jesus says, not many people find the gate or make their way through it. Because honestly, who of us can live a teleos life? How many of us, honestly, the most moral person in this room, how many of us can say with all integrity that I have always done the best things from totally pure actions? I think so often we may do things, even very good, even very spiritual things, but if we do them from a corrupt heart, we are living a divided life. And God wants us to be whole. He wants us to live with integrity. All of us have this problem. Why? Because the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And when Jesus says that the narrow way is small, I think one of the reasons why it's small, one of the ways why, reasons why it's hard to live like this is because the heart is a deceptive thing. Like I find myself following my heart before I even realize where it's taking me sometimes. And I end up doing things and suddenly think, oh man, I didn't realize that was in there motivating me all along. Let me give you an illustration, and it's not necessarily the best illustration, but it's a very current one, for me at least. I have found this a really difficult talk to prepare. Not because I struggle to understand it. Like I, I knew what Jesus was saying. I knew what I felt I should communicate today. But the reason I found it difficult was because of this. As soon as I knew I had this passage in the series, I thought, I know what I'm going to do with that. I have got an illustration that I've never used at Christchurch. I've used elsewhere. It's always been very good and worked very well. And it's like, freebie. I can use it here. You've never heard it before. It's already prepared. So I put that in. I was like, that is going to be core of my talk. So I put it in. And I built the whole talk around it. But I just couldn't get the talk to work. I was like wrestling with it and changing it and moving everything around and changing the points and changing the application. Just couldn't get it to work. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, you still haven't achieved that. I don't know. But, but like, I, I was really struggling. And so eventually I just thought, I've got to pray about this. <laughs> like, and I was like, I've got to pray about this. And I prayed. And the idea popped into my head, maybe the problem is that illustration. I said, like, oh, no, it can't, can't be. It's a good illustration. I know it works really well. It's a brilliant illustration. It's, it's like really philosophical. It's really challenging. It taps into loads of the things that I am passionate about. It will give me a great idea to talk about some massive, complex themes and quotes and brilliant thinkers. And, and I was like, oh, it's going to be great. But I couldn't get it to work. And so I'm praying. And suddenly I felt, honestly, I felt like it was God saying it to me because this thought wouldn't have come to me otherwise. I was locked in. I felt the thought came to me. The problem is not actually the illustration. It's a good illustration. Thanks, God. <laughs> but the problem is your reason for using that illustration. I was like, what, what do you mean? So I started to pray about it. And honestly, 
I just felt God show me something in my heart that I was shocked to find within there. And I realized that my reason for wanting to use that illustration, and there were simpler ways of putting things, was because of how it would make you think about me. When I prayed about it, I realized that I wanted you to think, wow, Liam's well-read, Liam's intelligent, Liam's articulate, and I would never have understood that if he hadn't shared that illustration. I wanted you to think well of me, which is why I built the whole thing around it, because I was prioritizing my kingdom over his kingdom. And the reason I couldn't give it up was because I didn't want to let go of my kingdom to allow his kingdom to come. And I was praying about that, and when it hit me, I just, I, honestly, I just burst into tears. I just felt so stupid for two reasons. One, I didn't know that was in my heart. I think that pride has always been a struggle for me and something I, I fight against and I thought I was doing all right. And then I suddenly realized that was in there and it made me feel embarrassed and ashamed. And I'm writing a talk on this very subject and I didn't know that was in there. The second reason why I suddenly just felt really embarrassed was because I felt God say, and now I want you to take that illustration out and put this one in. And I did not want to do that because I did not want to tell you what was going on in my heart. Because I, I don't want to tell you now. Like, I'm feeling awkward about this. I've done it once already in Stockwell. I'm still feeling awkward about this. Why? Because part of me at a heart level fears what you will think about me. I fear that there will be some of you sitting there thinking, mm, I'm not sure about his motives for using this illustration, as if I somehow manipulated you. <laughs> like, that might be going on right now. I don't know. Or I fear that some of you will be thinking, this guy's got some issues. Why do we let him preach? <laughs> And honestly, I don't know either. <laughs> but this is Jesus' whole point. The easy thing for me to do, the broad way, would be for me to just put on a front and show you how holy and righteous and articulate and intelligent I am to mask what is really going on in here. That doesn't lead to life. Jesus is the broad way it's easy to stumble into. It doesn't lead to the life that it promises. Enter the narrow way. And you know what? I could wow you with brilliant ideas and I'll save it for another day. And like, it's a genuinely good illustration and you might come away thinking, wow, that's amazing. But if God sees my heart and knows that what's coming out here doesn't match what's going on there, that's not going to impress him. And I don't live to impress you. I live for him. I don't want to walk away that leads to destruction, even if it's easy, even if it's comfortable. It is way easier to live by the broad way, but Jesus says it won't lead to life. There's a better way. And I don't know honestly what you think of me. I don't know honestly what you think of me now after that illustration, but I do know this. You are no different to me because the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart and we all have a human heart. So I don't know what your temptation is to stumble into the broad way. It may be that you find yourself just regularly saying positive things to people, encouraging them, whilst inside you're harboring a heart that's full of jealousy or distrust. Maybe you encourage people to take risks or steps of faith, whereas really inside you're wishing that they would fail. 
Do you ever find yourself putting your spirituality on display, maybe through the way you lead or the way you pray or the things you say or how high your hands are in worship or wherever it happens to be, all the while thinking, I hope people see that I'm spiritual, but inside in your heart is actually fear of man or or something else going on? Do you ever find yourself giving of your time or your energy or your resources in such a way as to draw attention to yourself, not just because you love God and love others, but because you want others to love you and think that you are generous and kind? Do you ever find yourself looking around at other people and judging them as thinking they're not as holy or hagios as I am because they do X, Y, and Z and I don't do those things, but really they may be pure in heart and you have something else going on inside of you, whether it's jealousy or cynicism or distrust or negativity or bitterness or rage or anger or hatred or lust or greed or anything else. Do you ever find yourself presenting yourself like you are spiritual, but the real reason is not to get the favor that comes from God, but the favor that comes from other people, because you crave attention, you crave affection, you crave affirmation from other people and public respect. If that's you, if any of those things are you, you're not alone. We all stumble into the broad way. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart, and it's so easy. Jesus says, not many people find the narrow way. Actually, I think he's going easy on us. I don't think any person has ever walked the narrow way. Because honestly, can any of us live the teleos life? Perfect in our activity and our attitudes. Perfect in our actions and in our hearts. I don't think there's a human being on earth who has ever walked the narrow way. If God wants us to be whole, living with perfect integrity, if that, a righteousness that is deeper than that of the Pharisees, is the requirement, all of us are stuffed. That's the bad news, but the good news is this. Actually, the path is a person. And the way you get to life is not forcing yourself to climb a difficult path. The path is a person. Because there is actually one human being who has lived the teleos life. There is only one person who has ever walked for their whole lives completely consistently the narrow road, and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I haven't come to abolish the law, the instructions of God, but he also didn't say I've come to keep them like a sin management system and do just what the Pharisees are doing. He said he came to fulfill the law. That is to do what no one else has ever been able to do, what the law always pointed to, but everyone has failed on. He came to do that. He came to walk the narrow road and he's the only one who ever has. But here's the irony and here's the mystery at the heart of the Christian faith. Where did the narrow road get Jesus? What does it promise? It promises that if you take the narrow road, leave a completely, live a completely teleos life, you get to life. But where did it get Jesus? Got him there. Jesus spent his whole life walking the narrow road and then at the end, he swapped destinies with us and he went to the cross. Every human being has walked the broad path apart from him. Everyone heading this way, and yet at the cross, Jesus switched destinies with us. And he took upon himself our destiny. He became the focal point of all the wickedness that is in the hearts of human beings. All the consequences for us living or failing to live an integrous life. He took it upon himself. He died the death we deserve. And then, three days later, he rose again to life. And his promise is, if you follow him, you will get to life. Because 
He promises to dwell within us, filling us with his Holy Spirit and empowering us to now live a life that is pleasing to God. The path is a person. That's how we get to life. Jesus said to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I can tell you the way. I can point you to the way and then you're on your own. Good luck. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one gets to God except through me. The path is a person. And so the answer, if you want to experience life to the full, the answer is not to try hard to keep the law. The answer is to surrender your heart to Jesus. To lay down your kingdom. To embrace his kingdom. Giving your life to Jesus is the ultimate restriction that leads to freedom. It's like Diggory's stable. Many people think Christianity is all about rules and restrictions, a narrow, joyless life. Man, it isn't. I have been on the inside, as it were, for many years now, and I can tell you it is far bigger out here than it ever looked to me when I was out there. And Jesus' appeal is, come on in. If you want life, you find it through him. This is different to any other religious system. The reason it's a narrow way that people don't spot is because it doesn't look like what we expect. Every other religion says you need to walk your path. You need to work your way up to God. Only in Christianity does it say that God in his love and mercy came down to us, walked the path we couldn't walk, lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we deserve, and then rose again to enter so that we could enter into life. And so my appeal is this. Come on in. And if you're already in, live like you're in. Don't go back to the broad way. If you are here and you have questions about faith, I hope you will find this to be a helpful place to explore some of those questions. We've heard, uh, maybe in the notices today, maybe you've heard it talked about, the Alpha course is a course that we run here at Christchurch, which is a great way of exploring questions of faith. Our next one starts in October. If you would like to join us, you will find that to be a brilliant way to explore the claims of Jesus Christ. Whatever your conclusion, I would recommend that course. But it may be that today you have questions. You want to talk to someone. Talk to me. Talk to one of the leaders you've seen here today. Talk to a trusted friend. Ask me. Ask us, what is it really like inside? Because from the outside, it looks restrictive. Tell us, what does it really look like to live the life to the full that Jesus promised? And if you know that today is the day when you actually want to step in, you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time, invite his Holy Spirit to live within you and to change you from the inside out, you can do that this morning. You can know the promise of eternal life and the presence of God within you. All I would invite you to do is come and speak to a member of the prayer team, come and talk to me, come and talk to one of the leaders here. We would love to pray with you this morning or talk to a trusted friend. We would love to welcome you in. Maybe the band can come back up. Or it may be that actually you have been a Christian for years and yet you know your temptation is to still live a divided life. To say on the outside, I'm in the kingdom. I'm following Jesus. Here are all the things that prove that I'm doing that very well. But inside you know that you're divided. That you're not as teleos, as whole as God wants you to be. If that's you, then the answer is not just to try harder. The answer is to surrender yourself to Jesus, to lay down your kingdom, to ask for more of his spirit to change you from inside out. And it can feel difficult. It can feel embarrassing. It can even feel shameful to confess that thing. But it's the only way to life. 
Honestly, one of the reasons why I shared what was going on in my heart earlier was not because I wanted to. It's because I wanted to model that there is actually life to be found in confession. So if you know that there are things, attitudes in your heart that you have tried very hard to mask through religious activity, actually the answer today is let the Spirit in. Let him start to shape you. Confess it to God. Maybe confess it to someone else if that's appropriate. We can help you with a pastoral support team, with a prayer team. We would love to help you. But in worship now, why don't you surrender your heart to him and allow his Holy Spirit to start changing you, to live the teleos life. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand and we are going to pray an ancient prayer. It's from the Anglican liturgy and it just opens our heart up to God. But Before we do that, I want to give you just a tiny moment just in your own quiet space to examine your heart and to invite the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. And actually, if you are here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you may want to take this moment to think, is today the day? And to make a decision. I want to follow him. I want to know his spirit in my heart. And if that's your decision, come and find me at the end. I'd love to talk and pray with you. But why don't we stand? To take stock of what is going on in your heart right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Would you shine your light into the depths of our hearts? You know that when you do that, it's not to shame us or embarrass us, but to lead us to life. So I pray right now for the revealing and the healing presence of the Holy Spirit to work within us. Purify us, make us whole. Make us wholehearted in our devotion to you. Right now, whether for the first time, just for the next time, we surrender our hearts to you. We give ourselves totally to you in worship. We lay down our kingdom and we ask that your kingdom will come in its place. So let's pray together. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.